Good evening. My name is Jody Whitaker, and this is If Cage Wells Could Talk, your weekly heart to heart on all things animals. Uh, this show was brought to you by the Chicago Alliance for Animals, the Partnership to Ban Horse Carriages Worldwide, and the Center for Ethical Science, my organizations that are working toward freeing animals from, uh, liberating animals from uh, suffering and pain. So thank you for joining us tonight. Uh, you are, if you are listening, then you're, you're good to go, but you can also check out WCPT's website and click uh, in the bottom right hand corner to listen through uh, their website. Or uh, you can also tune into Facebook and go to WCPT's Facebook page to watch live and listen uh, live. So I'm very excited tonight to, uh, for my guests that I actually worked for back in 2007 and 2008. Uh, I would like to read their bio before I introduce them. Christine Dorchak and Carrie Teal are the co-founders of Grade 2K USA Worldwide. An attorney, Christine specializes in parimutuel law and has drafted laws to, to successfully prohibit dog racing in several states and countries. She has been featured in national publications including the Huffington Post, Forbes, and American Dog. A long-distance runner, she has competed in seven Boston marathons. Carrie has decades of legislative experience and has been quoted in hundreds of news articles across, about greyhound racing published across the globe. In his free time, Carrie volunteers for various nonprofit organizations and is a national master in chess. So now I'm very happy to introduce the founders of the largest greyhound protection organization in the world, Christine Dorchak and Carrie Teal. Hi, Jody. Thanks for having us on tonight. Hi. It's an honor to be on. Thank you, Jody. Thank you, Carrie. Thank you, guys, so much for joining me. Um, I'm so I'm 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 been looking forward to this interview since I started back in September. So I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us tonight. Yeah, congratulations on your show. It's been so interesting. Oh, good. I'm glad you like it. And of course, I want to thank you for your support of the show. Christine and Carrie and Great 2K USA have have been a um, a donor and sponsor of this show since uh, I started in September. So, of course, I greatly appreciate that as well. Everybody, if we just work together, we can make a difference. That's our theory. <laughs> so I want to just say that I feel that uh, Christine and I have a kindred spirit in a way. Um, thinking back to... Uh, my days when I lived in Boston, I had worked for an organization, which is why I moved to Boston. And uh, it turns out Christine worked there as well. And we had a conversation one day about uh, basically our frustrations with not being able to do much work. <laughs> do you remember that call, Christine? <laughs> I, re I remember our discussion of the, even the bureaucracy that could be found in an animal protection organization. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Something we've tried to avoid at Grade 2K. <laughs> exactly. And I, I just remember, you know, telling you, like, I, I wasn't able to do any work. I was very frustrated. I wanted to work. I wanted to make a difference. And uh, that kind of led me to getting hired for to work on the Massachusetts uh, bill and uh, to ban greyhound racing in the state. No, 
Yeah, well, I, I'd say it worked out well. It was it was amazing, <laughs> and I learned so much from that campaign. <laughs> so, uh, in addition to running a very effective and active animal advocacy organization, you both are also authors. They've written the book "Brooklyn Goes Home: The Rise and Fall of American Greyhound Racing" and the dog that inspired a movement. So, please tell us about "Brooklyn Goes Home." Carrie. Yeah, thank you, Jody. It's it's really uh, an honor to be on your show, um, and, and we're we're both so proud of all the work you're doing. Um, yeah, you know, it's Christine and I have really been blessed to have worked on the Greyhound issue over the past twenty years plus, and to have seen a lot of positive change happen. You know, so often, um, you know people work to help animals and it just feels like you know you're constantly you know hitting your head against the wall trying to to bring about change and we we've been real very fortunate that you know we we've seen um the greyhound racing industry um nearly end completely in the United States and it's an incredible story um it's a story of you know ordinary dog lovers who fought a multi-billion dollar industry and won. It's a story of people fighting against tremendous odds. And, you know, it it really is a mosaic um, made up of thousands of people who sacrificed and, you know, helped in their own way, including you, Jody. I mean, this is, this is your story as well. Um, You had a huge part in, in, in this, this effort. And so we felt an obligation to, you know, put that down on paper and, and try and, uh, save it for anyone who you know, cares about animals and, you know, our hope is that there might be something in that for people to take away and, and use in their own, their own efforts, their own campaigns. And also, you know, we, we had the just truly remarkable experience of living with this one dog that was so particularly special. And uh, so we, it, we also wanted to tell his story. So that's that's why we wrote the book, and uh, we're really grateful that that people are reading it, and um, you know it seems to be uh, you know at least having some kind of an impact. You know, our, our book is obviously for dog lovers, but it's not just for dog lovers. It's a kind of a political how-to. It's taking the reader through the processes we've been through, state by state by state, and all of the incredible corruption we've seen, the hurdles we've had to jump, our failures along the way, and we tell our story through the life of this beautiful greyhound named Brooklyn who was suffering terribly at the only legal dog track in China at the time, the Canadrome. And it's his story of survival that inspired us to broaden our movement and broaden our work so it would be a global effort. And in fact, so many people were moved by the closing of the Canadrome, the rescuing of Brooklyn, the success of of that campaign that multiple organizations formed in Australia in response because every dog that was sent to the Canadrome, including our Brooklyn, was sent to die. There was no adoption program in Macau. And these poor dogs, they lived in concrete cells, like jails, 
They had committed no crime, but these poor dogs lived in barren concrete cells, and when they were injured, they just killed them and brought in new dogs, 40 a, a month. And it was it was an incredible cycle of cruelty, and we wanted to try and stop it. And thankfully, it, that's exactly what happened. And our story is not to say, oh, look at us, look at we, what we did. It's like, how did, you know, can you believe we did this? Just two people with a dream, working with wonderful volunteers all across the globe, and we decided this was a problem we wanted to solve, and it was possible for us to do it, not with a lot of resources, not with a lot of, nobody knows our name, or most people have never heard of Great Decay, would say, but we decided we would try, and nobody had tried before, and that's really been, I think, the difference between us and perhaps um, other efforts that never even get off the ground because people say, oh, I'm not going to even try. We decided to try. I love that. And it's so true that I've heard some of your other interviews and, uh, you know, obviously I've known you for a long time. And what you say about just trying, that's that's really half the battle, because sometimes some of our campaigns or or the things we want to see end seem like such a, you know, impossible. Yeah, impossible dream. But you can't you can't do it until you start. You just have to start. And uh, it means a lot to me. And uh, I did say this already about how I learned a lot from your campaign and working for you, um, that you stick with it. And it may take, you know, it's not going to be a quick fix. It's not going to take a month. It's going to take years. But if you stick with it and you have faith and you keep pushing, you'll get there. And it's an important uh, it's an important lesson for any animal advocate or activist who wants to make positive change. That's right. It it took over a decade to end dog racing in Florida. It it took eight years to close the canondrome. This is the long game, and we don't want it to be long. We want change now, but sometimes that just is impossible. So we've learned to, uh, and this is really Carrie's uh, strength, we've learned to reach for one goal at a time and take steps towards the final goal. And that's really been part of our our success. And we failed any number of times, but we tried to strategize the best way we could to uh, make a difference for the greyhounds as we were approaching a ban on dog racing in various states. So, for instance, in, in New Hampshire, we saw that you know millions of dollars were going to the industry and basically being subsidized, the drug testing that they should have been paying for for the dogs. You know, greyhound racing was, is known to be uh, not exactly on the up and up. So mm-hmm. the state requires that the dogs be tested for drugs. And the tracks were turning around and passing that bill back to the state. So that doesn't that doesn't sound like a huge like uh, campaign or a huge thing, but it was an important step. Stripping the industry of the subsidy money was an important step in our campaign in New Hampshire, and we passed injury reporting. The, the tracks didn't have to tell anybody what happened to the dogs, the injuries they suffered, if, if they lived or died, but we passed injury reporting. So these little steps added up 
to finally being able to pass a prohibition. And we did that uh, within months of Massachusetts voters going to the ballot and ending dog racing. So it was, there was a real domino effect um, of the campaign you worked on, Jody. And the same thing happened in Rhode Island. Rhode Island uh, passed our bill to prohibit dog racing also within a very short time. So all of a sudden, all the dog racing in New England was over. And that was so thrilling. And and like you said, it's important to look not just at the big picture, but the little steps and strategies you can use to get uh, to get to to what you want, like like having these injuries reported and having to uh, stop the subsidies. Same as uh, with the horse carriages. One of the reasons we, I firmly believe that we were able to get those banned here in Chicago is because we showed the officials that the laws on the books weren't enforced and that the um, the operators broke the law every single time. So, uh, you know, this show is about highlighting uh, animal protection and people like Christine and Carrie's amazing work, but it's also about educating and educating mm-hmm. others about steps and strategies to get to your ultimate goal. So that's really, it really is powerful how you used those various uh, strategies to get these bands. Yeah. Well, you know, we, we're, we've always been very results oriented. I mean, we, Christine and I are, are very committed to, to the animal liberation cause and, you know, we felt from the beginning that um, it wasn't enough um, just to make your voice heard. That that you know, we have an obligation to the animals to actually bring about positive change, and that means uh, you know, getting involved politically. It means getting involved legislatively. It means being strategic. It means you know, learning from your mistakes. Um, and and never giving up. You, you mentioned it earlier, Jody. But you know, we we learned early on that our our biggest asset was that we didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> I mean, our, you know, our, our inexperience was this tremendous advantage because it allowed us to experiment, to try different things. Um, but we, you know, no matter how many times we got knocked down, our very first. Uh, campaign was in the year 2000, and you know, we narrowly passed a ballot question to outlaw greyhound racing in Massachusetts. The industry spent millions of dollars against us. They sued us on the eve of the election for $10 million for defamation of character. Um, they ran this you know, re- unbelievable you know, just campaign of, of just deception, and, and we lost 51-49, and that was, that was absolutely absolutely crushing because we knew the greyhounds were going to suffer and die. Greyhounds were going to continue to live in little cages because we had failed. But, you know, we had to get up and keep fighting. And, you know, we learned over time that you have to stay on the field. You have to, you have to just keep fighting um, no matter what. And, you know, that's, that's what I think the animals deserve. They, they deserve advocates that not only are passionate and committed, um, you know, but also uh, are, are clever and resourceful and determined and, and will we'll keep fighting no matter what. I, I think 
you know, you are the personification of that with with all of your work, Jody, but particularly with with carriage horses. I mean, it's it's uh, you know certainly one of our our proudest uh, accomplishments. You could say is that people who have worked with us, you know, you and many other people who you know have then gone on to do just amazing, incredible things. And and the last thing I'll say on that is, you know, to me, this is. This is generational. I mean, there, there were people working on the Greyhound issue that preceded us, uh, generations of people who worked on this issue, and and we, we owe them an incredible debt of gratitude. And, you know, we're doing our part for the animals, and we're going to pass this on to other generations who are going to continue to fight. So, um, yeah, it's it's... It's definitely, you know, a, a long-term fight for a more compassionate world. Right. So a lot of people know that gray, greyhounds are fast, I believe, the fastest animal, uh, and they love to run. Most dogs love to run. Uh, so what exactly is wrong with greyhound racing? Where do we begin? <laughs> I mean, I know the answer, but please, please uh, enlighten well, you us. Know. Yeah. Greyhound racing really is built on an underbelly of cruelty. And by that I mean greyhounds were overbred for years and years and years intentionally. And the winners were picked out of the litter. And the puppies never saw, never got off the farm, disappeared. So that's where dog racing started, getting rid of the losers, the puppy losers, Um the dogs who were lucky enough to be fit for racing would face injury and death at every turn. The first turn is infamous as the most um, the, the most injuries occur on the first turn. So that's how dangerous dog racing is. They can't even make it around one turn before they break their legs, they break their necks, wow. they suffer spinal cord paralysis. In, in Florida, we saw dogs being electrocuted because they would fall into the electrical lure. This is horrendous and no way to treat a dog. But even when they're not racing, the you know, the terrible treatment of these dogs, they were kept confined in stacked cages for twenty three hours a day inside dark warehouses. They they don't walk greyhounds. Greyhounds are just let out in what is kind of like a, a litter box for greyhounds in the back of a kennel. And then they're put back in the cage. And that's their life. They they race several times a month, and then it's back in the cage. It's just a, a terribly, terrible you know, treatment uh, for, as you say, the one of the fastest animals on Earth to be confined like that. I, I can I would uh, to paint a picture. These are like greyhounds are like are, are like in, kept in chicken coops for dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a terrible it's a terrible standard. And no matter what state one would go to, it was the same standard. And we also showed the lack of veterinary care, um, the poor treatment of dogs who were injured. If they weren't just killed outright, if they were, you know, kept uh, to see if they they would heal, um, the they would just be left in their cages. It, it was so sad the way that this was happening, and Carrie and I really wanted to do something about it, and that's why we embarked on this campaign. And we we had to be very patient, um, and we also had to recognize our limitations because we're not some multi million dollar 
you know, animal rights organization, and we just have to decide how to spend the money. We're, we're relatively unknown. Um, we, whatever we did, we had to raise the money to make to execute, and that meant we couldn't go to all the 19 states where there was dog racing when we started all at once. We had to choose which states to go to and what campaigns to bring and how to bring the campaign. One of the things you know, I, really like, I like to emphasize is to advocates, you know, this is a political issue. You know, pursuing justice for animals requires you to get involved with politics. And a lot of people say, oh, I don't want to get involved with politics. But just like you know, Jody, you have to advocate before decision makers to get change. They have the power to execute that we individuals may not, uh, unless, it, unless it's, of course, in a ballot question campaign, most, which is very rare. We have to be able to know how to appeal to people in power, to lawmakers and, and other decision makers. And to do that, we have to know how the process works, and we have to know how best to represent the animals we're fighting for. And we didn't know that. We knew nothing when we started. We made so many mistakes. Um, Carrie often will, like, you know, laugh about some of the stuff I said in the early days. Um, they were just, like, the worst <laughs> kind of media statements you can make. But <laughs> I, I, just, I just didn't understand how to tell people how much I cared about these dogs and why I wanted to see dog racing end. And um, you just have to, if you want to be successful, I'm just saying uh, learn the process and learn the issue, of course, number one. Make sure you know more about the industry that you're fighting than the industry knows itself. Then know the process and then execute. Yeah, I love that. And it's so true that uh, you need to know your your obviously your issue, but you need to develop relationships with your legislative officials, your the right. people who represent you and who are elected to represent you. And uh I wish more animal advocates really would take that to heart because that is how we get laws on the books that end suffering. Right. Uh, I mean, I'm all for, there are so many strategies we need to use, uh, not just the legislative angle. Uh, protests are important. Educational outreach is important. But if you really want to end suffering, it's important to make it a law and and then make sure that law is enforced. So. Uh, I want to just read a little quote that I had taken from a Grade 2K USA fact sheet. Dogs in the racing industry are also subject to standard practices that are cruel and inhumane, like the killing of unprofitable dogs and the use of 4D meat. From January 2008 through December 2021, a total of 18,396 greyhound injuries have been documented. The most commonly reported injury was a broken leg. Other injuries included head trauma, electrocution, and broken backs. So th those are horrible. I mean, the idea of being electrocuted while racing on a track. But as you mentioned, the captivity, the confinement, uh, which is so prevalent in most animal abuse industries, is the constant confinement, which makes me just, it's devastating to think about. It is. So, um, how many states have officially banned dog racing? 
in the United States. So greyhound racing is is illegal in 42 states. It's now, you know, it, it, put, put a little context. You know, at its peak, there were 70 operational dog tracks in 19 states. About three and a half billion dollars wagered. Uh, today, there are only two dog tracks left in the country. You know, we've gone from you know more than fifty thousand dogs a year being you know fed into this system every year, used for a very short period of time and then discarded. To today, it's a few thousand each year. So it's the industry has has really been pushed to the edge of extinction and. The final two tracks are both in the state of West Virginia. Uh, the state law in West Virginia requires that they be uh, heavily subsidized by the, the casinos that own the tracks. Uh, those casinos have said um, they don't want to do greyhound racing anymore, so even, even the facility that has dog racing itself wants out. Um, so we're, you know, we are living through, yeah, we're living through the end of, of this industry in the United States. But, you know, one thing that has been very, very instructive to us is even at this reduced, reduced state, it's still hard to completely finish it off. I mean, it's, it's always hard to close out these, these abusive, exploitive industries. And that has definitely been the case here. So, you know, we're fighting very hard in the West Virginia legislature, as we have been for a number of years. We also have a federal bill to outlaw greyhound racing, which is gaining momentum and I think has a real chance of passage. Um, and another thing that we're working on is, uh, you know, as dog racing has ended in the U.S., some many foreign dog tracks have come in and started to appeal to American gamblers for the first time uh, through something called simulcasting and also through betting over the Internet. And so we are going state by state, and we are passing laws that prohibit this type of remote gambling on greyhound racing, which is is very important. And, you know, we're having a lot of progress in in all of these efforts, um, but, you know, we're also seeing – Overseas, you know, on one hand, there are tremendous efforts to help these greyhounds that are happening in Wales and Scotland and New Zealand. Um, and I, I think we're going to see victories for the greyhounds in, in many of those countries. But there, there are also, you know, at least one place, Australia, where the industry is still growing and thriving. There, there are tremendous activism happening in Australia, but at the same time, um, it, you know, the gambling industry in Australia is just so big and so much is being bet on on the dogs that, unfortunately, greyhound racing is still growing and huge numbers of dogs are suffering and dying. So, you know, we're... On one hand, you know, we are seeing, you know, historic progress on this issue. Um, but on the other hand, you know, there still is a lot of work to do, especially when it comes to the, all the grounds are suffering in Australia. Right. So uh, we'll talk about this a little bit more at the end of the show. But it's uh, important if you heard any of the places that Carrie just mentioned or if you know for a fact that Greyhound racing is still happening in your country, or if you're a West Virginia resident, uh, make sure you reach out to your officials and let them know that you want to see this uh, cruel, inhumane excuse for sport and entertainment uh, shut down. It's really and, important. And the, the Carrie mentioned our federal bill, the U.S. Greyhound Protection Act. Anybody listening who lives in the United States can go to our homepage at greatchukusa.org, right on the banner, 
click that and you can send a letter to your lawmaker asking them to co-sponsor the bill. So if everybody listening does that today, that would be huge because we need to build more and more momentum for this bill. As you know, D.C. uh, has been called a quagmire and perhaps not Perhaps it's true, but we intend to get through the quagmire and pass our legislation, and this will be history. Greyhound racing was invented in the United States. It's time that we put it on the put it put an end to it. And when we do, this will set a new standard for other countries to follow. So instead of imitating greyhound racing, they will perhaps do what we're doing and reverse the trend and prohibit dog racing. And we're working very hard in Scotland and Wales and Australia uh, to make a difference and help with those campaigns as well. This is a real community effort, and it's really important um, that we as Americans who invented this horrible industry take responsibility for all of the cruelty that, that we have prompted. Yes, exactly. And uh, you just gave me a great idea for a new daily action alert where I'll I'll post about that next week to uh, urge everyone to go to your website and fill out that form uh, for that federal bill. Thank you so much. You know, the the federal bill interacts with the West Virginia uh, process as well. it's, it's important for us to work on as many levels as possible and pursue as many opportunities as we can for the Greyhounds. So, if, But even if our bill in West Virginia should pass in the next session, we still need to pass the federal bill. We need to make dog racing illegal as a, fed, as a matter of federal law. We need to prohibit American gamblers from betting on foreign races. And very importantly, we need to stop any kind of uh, process where dogs, American dogs, would be sent to race elsewhere so that the U.S. Greyhound Protection Act does all of those things. That sounds amazing. And, uh, yeah, everybody listening, we need to help Christine and Carrie pass this bill. So um, please reach out to them. Uh, they'll give some information at the end and or me so we can help them get this very important, humane measure passed. But that kind of reminds me of another point I'd like to make, Jody, if, if you don't mind my yeah. saying. Um, there are people on both sides of the aisle who will, who care about dogs, and our measure is a bipartisan measure. So I know people will say, oh, I don't think those Democrats care about dogs. I don't think those Republicans care about dogs. Guess what they do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so don't, don't go by labels. Approach your lawmaker, what, whatever their party they're from or you may be from, approach them as an individual give them straight information, and open their eyes to the issue that you want them to vote on and vote on in a particular way. It's, it just can be, I cannot say enough how important it is to establish a personal relationship with your lawmaker or your lawmaker's staff. If you become known as the, as the horse person, you know, or, or whatever your issue is, um, the cat person, 
if there's a cat issue that comes up, maybe that office will reach out to you and say, what do you know about this? It can become an interactive kind of thing. Um, it, that's what we found along the way. We've always tried to base our campaigns on facts, and we obtain government records on the treatment of greyhounds. We compile reports, and we make this information available to lawmakers. You know, for instance, in Florida, a dog died every three days. That was a fact, and that's something that we brought before the legislature over and over again, but we could not break through the the powerful grip that the tracks had on the process there. And that's why we went to the ballot in 2018, and the voters, they saw the light. They voted by... 69% to outlaw dog racing and close the state's 12 tracks. So sometimes if one method doesn't work or one avenue you know, doesn't get you to your goal, pivot and pursue another, another angle. Exactly. That, it's, so, uh, it's so important to remember, like you said, uh, animal protection is not uh, a Democrat, a Republican, an independent issue. It's a Everybody cares about animals, pretty much, uh, unless you're really a sick person. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the average person has a lot of empathy for animals. And so it's important to never write off your, your legislators about that no, and to reach out not. to them. I've uh, Recently, I had made a post uh, on social media urging people to make may either make a call or send a, an email about, it was about a fur issue. We're trying to uh, ban the sale of new fur in Chicago. Uh, so someone wrote on the message, oh, emails don't matter. They don't, they don't help. And that kind of attitude, <laughs> and I said, like, you, you, you have no idea what you're talking about. They do help. And uh, so, <laughs> and to say that, to have that kind of attitude when you're supposed to be, you know, an animal advocacy uh, Facebook page, to have that kind of attitude is, is why a lot of people just don't take action because they read that stuff and they believe it. It's not true. Your voice does matter. Your voice matters immensely. And imagine if 3,000 people made that call or sent that email, how much more powerful it can be. So please, uh, and here's the thing I told people during my campaign with the horses, is our Chicago city council members or your city council, wherever you live, they have cats and dogs and maybe rabbits and companion animals as well. It's not just animal advocates who have pets. Uh, our legislators do too. So we just have to appeal to them and educate them on these issues. And once we do and we let them know that a dog is dying, what, every three days in Florida due to this uh, issue, then guess what? We get it banned. You get it banned. And uh, so... I just wanted to really quickly shout, shout out that we are taking calls. Uh, if you have any questions or, or anything you want to say to Christine and Carrie, the number here at the studio is 773-763-9278. And uh, so I wanted to ask you, you've conquered this inhumane excuse for <laughs> entertainment, sport, whatever you want to call it, in so many states now. Obviously, Massachusetts, which, by, by the way, I'm wearing my vote yes on question three <laughs> uh, awesome. T-shirt. And uh, when I worked for Christine and Carrie back in 2007, 2008, they had said that Florida would be a hard state because it was so widespread in Florida. So 
but you got it done. Can you just mention a little bit about the Florida campaign? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, it was Florida was was always the heart of of this cruel industry, and you know there were you know seventeen operational dog tracks at one point. You know there was a billion dollars a year wagered just in the state of Florida on greyhound racing, and and they were incredibly powerful politically. I mean, they were you know as as influential as as Big Sugar or you know the, the industries that you think of as the traditional you know big powerful industries in state legislatures and. You know, we, Christine and I, you know, spent more than 10 years working to end greyhound racing in Florida. I, I lived in, in in Tallahassee two months a year for that entire decade, and you know, we slowly built a coalition. And it was, like Christine said, to say it was bipartisan. I mean. It, it was a coalition like no other. You know, when when we finally made the ballot in 2018, um, you know, we had the support of the Democratic gubernatorial candidate Andrew Gillum, uh, the League of Women Voters, uh, the most progressive members of the state legislature, including you know now Congressman Jared Moskowitz. Um, uh, you know, the, uh, joining with. Um, Governor Rick Scott and, you know, Pam Bondi, very conservative attorney general of the state, Mike Huckabee, former governor of Arkansas. I mean, it, it, it was this incredible right-left coalition. And we ran a good campaign and we simply asked voters, you know, we showed them how these dogs live and we said, you know, would you would you treat your dog this way? And, you know, Florida is, is hardly you know, a lefty liberal state, if if anything, it's it's a deeply conservative state. And you know, on a night when Ron DeSantis was elected governor, we not only outlawed greyhound racing uh, and, and shut down all of these tracks in one fell swoop, but you know, we did it with a 69% vote, sweeping vote from one end of the state to the other. Um, there were 10,000 dogs, at least, still living in cages and and being being abused at these at these tracks so it was it was a sweeping victory and and, and i'll tell you jody it's you know as someone who cares so deeply about all these animal issues to to be there on that night and live through you know this sweeping victory knowing that it is without a doubt one of the like top five victories for animal welfare ever in the history of the Western world was incredibly empowering. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, one thing about the, the reason, one reason we wrote the book is it wasn't long after that, that this incredible dog Brooklyn came into our lives. And, you know, I, I think he, he epitomized um, so much of the struggle itself and, and really was, almost like a reward you know we, we fought so long for so hard and and had and overcame so many defeats and disappointments um that after winning in florida you know we we really given the opportunity to take care of this very special dog who who was a special needs dog so but yeah f- f- florida i think should be um an example to all animal advocates that uh not only can you make change you know, really fundamental uh, change is possible um, if if we keep fighting and we get a little bit lucky. 
Yeah, it it really when I when I heard about that, I was just beyond overjoyed and in tears because I remember you saying it was going to be a hard fight and it was, but you did it. And so it's just another uh, thing to remember that we can we can make these uh, changes that seem impossible if we keep fighting for them. So uh, in what other countries are, are, uh, have you been successful in ending this cruelty? Well, there's no other country that has yet ended dog raising or is as close as the United States. But uh, even though Australia has so many tracks, we've seen some tracks close. We've seen some tracks close in the U.K. and Ireland. Uh, but it's, it's a moving target. Um, this is a resilient industry. And tracks will close and then come back a couple of years later. So until we pass a prohibition on dog racing, as we need to do here in the United States, greyhound racing will will not be over. We really have to use the power of the law to stop dog racing. So we have um, two parliamentary petitions, one in Wales and one in Scotland, uh, our coalition does, uh, and we're working very hard uh, to get those passed. If, if Wales or Scotland passes a national prohibition first, yay, mm-hmm. <laughs> we're happy about that. They can win this. They can win that race. Um, we had an international conference in Scotland in September, and we'll be returning next month uh, to have some parliamentary meetings. So we're keeping the heat up on Scotland. Wales also, uh, the, the intricacies of the, of the process there are very different than here in the United States. So uh, in a parliamentary process, we have what's called a review, and then we give testimony, and then hopefully the committee makes the right decision. So these are – Australia is very similar. So in any case, we could probably use a whole other show to talk <laughs> about how those fights uh, happen. But it's actually a learning process, just like we had here in the United States. We did not know anything about anything. We didn't know how the process worked. We didn't know what to do or how to do it. And that's part of the reason I went to law school, because it seemed to me that the, the Greyhound tracks had a lot of lawyers. The Greyhounds didn't have any. And I said, I don't know if I can help, but that's what I want to do. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get my law degree and see if I can make a difference. And hopefully that is what's happening. And um, it's just been a long journey, but it's been so rewarding, Jody, because um, I, I came up with the idea years ago that has helped really guide uh, me all these years. Whenever there was a decision to be made, I'd say, what would the dogs want? And that just... just grounded me so much. I, I We would have opportunities to maybe um, form a coalition with, with someone or, or not, or engage in something or not. And I'd always say, well, is, it, would, is that what the Greyhounds would like us to do? You know, in politics, there are a lot of folks who kind of want you, kind of want to distract you with campaigns that really aren't workable or aren't guided right. And just staying true to the dogs and staying focused on the dogs is, has been so important to to any success that we've had. 
And I really like to emphasize that with other advocates. Just remember who you're fighting for. And as long as you do that, you're going to make the, the right decisions. That's that's very powerful to hear. And that keeps you grounded, thinking about, well, right. why, why am I doing this work? It's right. only for one reason, to help the animals, right. to rescue the animals, to liberate the animals. And our we want to put ourselves out of business. Yep. So, you know, the way that we run our campaigns and the way that we work is very different than an organization that really does have a mission that is going to continue on for the foreseeable future. They have a bigger umbrella. For instance, you know, the, um, the, here, the MSPCA, um, Massachusetts Society of Protection of Animals, which endorsed our measure in Massachusetts, they, 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 they can't dream of, you know, becoming obsolete. There's so many cruelties that they're fighting and so many thousands of dogs to help every year. The beauty of our efforts is that we're trying to get to the root of the problem and stop from the problem from existing at all. Mm-hmm. And when we close the track, mm-hmm. the next step is to help with the release of the dogs and getting those dogs into homes. And that is a, the most rewarding part of my work. When we engaged in the Canadrome campaign, and this is at the same time where we've got you know Florida on <laughs> in front of us, I said to Karen, well, somebody's got to close this place down. And this is the worst dog track in the world. There's no adoption program. 400 dogs killed a year. I never even knew about it. We've got to close it down. And he said, how are we going to do that from a one-room office in Somerville, Massachusetts? Mm -hmm. I said, I don't know, but we are. And we did. And we formed a coalition with groups in Macau and around the world People joined hands with us. We established an adoption network, and when we closed that track, we had groups around the world waiting for these dogs. And thankfully, the most wonderful dog came home to us, and that was Brooklyn. And he taught me. He was such a survivor. He waited eight years to be free. And when he came home to us, he had no grudges. He was the most friendly dog, and every day was something he celebrated. This was a dog that smiled, and boy, did he enrich our lives, and did he inspire us to keep working for greyhounds and against dog racing wherever it exists worldwide. And in the process of writing this book, was it emotionally draining to revisit some of the the sad facts about the industry and, of course, losing this dog that you both loved so much? Uh, The ups and downs of our work uh, over the years have really been taxing um, personally, but we've always gotten back up to fight again. And that's another thing I hope advocates will do as well. Remember, you may have lost today, but for us, you know, when we lost in Massachusetts in 2000, gosh, it was devastating to us personally, but that's a human thing. Mm-hmm. These dogs didn't know the difference between Election Day and the next day. They were still in those damn cages. They were still suffering injuries, being killed in the back. It was horrible, and they still needed help just as much as before, and that's why we formed Great UK USA in response to that loss. We said, we're not just going to end it in Massachusetts. We're going to end it nationwide, and now we're working worldwide. So that that's we've been really focused, and that, that's a really also important 
There are so many cruelties to fight. I wish I could work on all of them. Everybody who's listening probably has multiple things they would love to solve right now. But I recommend that you pick your battle and you really focus on it. And and I think that's really the best course of action. I, I think that is a great idea. And uh, I... A great focus is, is having one. I, I think I'm I'm kind of spreading myself too thin with, <laughs> with uh, my campaigns because I really, I would honestly love to do what you're doing to Greyhound Racing with horse carriage rides. I, I want to see them banned. And, uh, you know, that's why I started the partnership and I'm reaching out to activists around the world. But uh, what you... Well, you've, Car- you've set the standard now, Jody. I mean... You're such a great example of grassroots power. You don't have a big, fancy, multi-million dollar office with staff. And I don't have an have, office. <laughs> you've got zero. You've got you and what you can do with your, your volunteers and everybody who's listening who wants to help. It's totally grassroots, and yet you did it. It's just, it's amazing. <laughs> and we're so proud of you, Jody. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, you know, uh, when I worked for you two, and uh, we worked on the Massachusetts campaign, uh, one of my jobs was to call my volunteer coordinators every week and ask them if they called their volunteers because we oh, had to yeah. go out <laughs> and get signatures. Oh, yeah. And uh, it was one of my least favorite aspects of the job <laughs> because <laughs> I had called these volunteers who were supposed to have called their volunteers and they didn't want to hear from me. And uh, But I found that mm. as much as I disliked that, I realized that this is, you know, this is what you sign up for. If you sign up to be a volunteer coordinator, you're yeah. doing so because you, for the animals. Again, it's not for any yeah. pat on the back. It's not for any money. Uh, yeah, this isn't a glamour trip. I mean, <laughs> no. there's lots of hard work involved in every step. And, you know, it's it's not like some sort of like, oh, uh, walk through the park. It's really hard. And it can be, you know, psychologically, it can be very challenging uh, to keep going sometimes. But we must. Yes, we must. And you can cry yourself to sleep like like I'm sure you have before when you had a hard loss, but then you get up the next day and you start over. And that's an important, another important lesson for all advocates is you're going to face failures. You're going to have bad days. And the key to winning these campaigns and getting the animals out of these cages is to start again, to not stop. So, um, well, I'm a little different, Jody. When I when we lose, I get mad. <laughs> I get right. sad. I'm like, wait a minute, we should have won. Damn yep. it! <laughs> what can we do better next time? Because we should have won, and we have to win, and we will win. Exactly. Like, I'm very, very. I really believe in the power of positive thinking, and that that's really a driving force for me. And I have to think that our dear Brooklyn must have had that in him too, to stay for eight years in that concrete cell waiting for help. And it it kills me to this day that we went to the track in 2015, and he was probably only a few feet away from us at the time. Little did I know that we would eventually get him out of there, but boy, did he have to wait. It's, It's so sad to think of the suffering that's happening as we're speaking right now. Yeah. 
And uh, this is a small note because we are starting to run low on time. But in addition to the abuse of dogs, what other animals suffer in this industry? Oh, well, uh, live lure training, the use of rabbits and other small animals to train young dogs uh, to chase. Uh, as if you have to chase would have to train a greyhound to chase. It's ridiculous. They're sighthounds, but that's what the industry does. Um, certainly, the use of 4D meat means that slaughterhouse scraps that would otherwise not be sellable can be packaged up and sold to greyhound uh, kennels. And that's that's the food that greyhounds are fed. Raw, you know, diseased meat. Downer meat is what the industry relies on to feed these dogs, and that's why they get sick, and that's why they're they're not in very good shape when they get out of out of racing. They need a lot of care when they're rescued. So certainly, all the animals who are killed in slaughterhouses, the greyhound industry is is helping keep slaughterhouses impro- improving their bottom line as well, and of course the overpopulation issue. For years. You know, tens of thousands of greyhounds being bred, and the ones that were saved, they took the homes of other animals in need of sa- savior. So, it, all of these things were part of what drove me to focus on greyhound racing. Well, I can't tell you both how much I appreciate your support of my show and also for coming on today. Um, definitely, please visit grade2kusa.org for um, more information on how you can help and how you can support this wonderful organization. Um, I need to thank you guys. I'm sorry. I have to get this in and I'm so sorry. We're running out of time. I will definitely have you both on again. Thanks, Jody. And I'm so sorry. Carrie's phone died. That's why he's been quiet. because oh. phone died. <laughs> No worries. Thank- I'll speak for the both of us. Thank, Thank you. you, Jody. Thank you. And I just want to end this uh, with this quote by Dr. Jane Goodall, which is the foreword to Christine and Carrie's book. Uh, Brooklyn Goes Home is about human love and compassion on the one hand and callousness and cruelty on the other. It's also the incredible how two brave and committed people successfully fought against a shameless yet powerful industry. Christine and Carrie had little more than a belief in themselves and a shared love for their Greyhound Brooklyn, but their determination has paid off for thousands of other dogs in the United States and worldwide. My Greyhound and I recommend you read the stunning memoir. Sounds like a great holiday gift, and uh, my time is up, so thank you all for listening. Bye-bye.